The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to Garage Mahal. We are the Rebels. I changed that for you, Nate. How do you feel about that? I love it. You love didn't it. say popping off, so I'm good. I was I was gonna go. <laughs> this was gonna be a sans popping off episode until you said that right there. P Nate, Elder P, Dave on the dials, and Air Jordan the Apprentice is in the. Uh, <laughs> Add that to the list of uh, nicknames. Nicknames. Yeah. There yeah. you go. The, how do you feel about being an apprentice? Like you're a Padawan, really. I, that's how I like looking at it. Like Nate is my Jedi master and uh, you should grow the long braid. I was just <laughs> thinking that I'm like, especially with your, your buzzed head, like having yeah. the Jedi braid would just yeah. really be pronounced. You, you know Talk what? Talk to Mel about that. Yeah, you can, <laughs> oh, it, you know what? It's part of the job. Yeah, I just, right. it's, uh, it's what we signed up for. Yeah. It's, uh, no, we, it, I'll get, start, I'll start off telling her it's a rat tail. Yeah. And then when I tell her, no, it's a, it's a Jedi braid, then, then that seems like a step up from yeah, the rat tail. If we, if we get 50 shares on this, on this podcast, <laughs> Jordan will Jordan grow will, yeah. the battle on start making uh, random promises yeah, on yeah, Jordan's yeah. behalf. Yeah. Well, if what else public, will Jordan do? <laughs> <laughs> you had a rat tail when you were a kid, right? When I was a kid, yeah, yeah, of I had one too. And my and, uncle cut and it. then it went to straight mullet, like because it was like MacGyver, right? I grew up watching MacGyver, so I only ever wanted a mullet. I didn't realize that that wasn't a cool haircut. We went with Kelly Gruber hair, is what we were. That was Fair the enough. way we said it. Nobody knows who Kelly Gruber is, and if you do, I'm impressed. You right ought now. to. He was like, he was a great great blue mm-hmm. jay. Come on, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's a great blue jay, but like Americans don't care about the jays. Like, That's a good point. That is a good uh, point. So I mean, he had a triple play robbed from him. That's what he's kind of uh, known for. Known yeah. for should have had a triple play under his belt. But in the World Series. In the World. Series. In the World Series. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Well played. Yeah. Have I ever told you the story about when the Jays won the World Series? What I did? No. Have I, I've never told you this for no. real. So 92 they, or 93? This was 92. Yep. So Tomlin picks up the ball, throws it to Carter at first base. He starts jumping up and down. So I started jumping up and down, but I was in like, bear in mind, I'm young at that time. So I'm like not wearing anything. And so like, just my, just my gitch. Those two things don't follow for me. I'm young. Therefore I was <laughs> naked. Like yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> You okay. didn't have a lot of clothes. Yeah. So I I decided, like, I got super excited because I was a big Jays fan, right? And so I ran out onto the streets. It's like, what, 1130 at night? Right. And just started running up to the Becker's store at the end of the street. I don't know why. But I'm also just running around just in my underwear, cheering, like, yelling that the Jays have won the World Series. And my grandma, who's like, you know, in her 70s at this time, chasing me down. <laughs> telling you, you get gotta, back get here back in your here. underwear. Get back here. That's, so that was pretty funny. That, there you go. It's a good story. I was like four and five when they won so my recollection is very limited which is just disappointing because i'm i feel like almost as diehard a blue jays fan as yep. there's like i love them they're my my team i did and, not know this oh yeah like of any professional sport the jays blue jays yeah. like we have the games on in the background most nights it's just like they're 
Yeah, we love it. My my wife does too. Since we got married, we've we've watched a lot of Jays. So wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to a more recent. Where were you when Batista did his bat flip in the in the uh, <laughs> playoffs like a few years back? So it was our youth night at our old church. Yeah. And our poor pastor <laughs> was preaching. <laughs> and <laughs> a group of us were at the back in the sound booth, and. Needless to say, as Chris would say, uh, it popped off. <laughs> and uh, you thought yeah. you made a really good point. Oh man! And he like, he gets it. Yeah. Like he hated it, but he gets it because he's like a he's a big uh, Aussie rules football guy, so rugby guy, and so he understands like if it was his team, right? But he just he hated that there was like six of the youth guys at the back watching it, jumping around, and we were trying to be quiet, but it was like. This just doesn't happen. Yeah. So as a Jays fan, you understand. It totally. never it just doesn't happen. Well, so I, I remember that. Like you were at my place, Chris, <laughs> yep. with like several like so Jesse Leet, who I know listens, so I'll give him a little shout out. And my brother was there and Greg might have been there. I don't remember. There's like There's five a or six guys of from us. The yeah. church too. So anyway, we're watching it. That inning was crazy, right? Because it was like a couple errors loaded the bases, and then you realize Batista's up and iffy, and then he gets did he get thrown at the at bat before, or was it at that that at bat where he got brushed back? I think it was that at bat. Was it that like, at bat? He got, but there was something with Edwin too, right? Like, yeah. Uh, so he got brushed back. And when, when Batista was mad, like he was one of those guys who played better mad. Oh, and absolutely. So, so he gets angry and we're just like, oh, Batista's going into beast mode. And when he threw that bat, like it was an eruption. It was amazing. I also remember that mm-hmm. as the pitch was coming in, he swung and you're, the... MLB feed froze for a few minutes. There was a member that we had, yeah, we had to wait. I, to like yeah, yeah, because I was like, we we were streaming it because I had like MLB TV or whatever, so it did freeze. So we were like, uh, we don't know what's happening. Yeah. We don't know what's happening. So Mark McLean in our church, he has a great Christmas sweater where it has just it's like a knitted sweater and it has Batista do, doing that bat flip and it just says Merry Flipping Christmas. It's so good. I want that shirt so badly. The only way that bat flip could have been better is if he threw his bat at Odor. Like yeah, that's that. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the only way that that could have been improved. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, it's, it's so good. It's funny how, like, sometimes in sports for a, a period of time, a rivalry creates, like, Texas-Toronto for the next couple of years was yeah, a thing. Yeah, it was, yeah. And, like, now, like, we don't care when we play the Rangers at all. Like, no, but, like, but for a while there. But there was a time where that was a thing. Because I also remember, like, when, when the Jays, we were talking about when they won the World Series. Remember it was Oakland. Yeah, right? like, that's right. Playing Oakland was a thing. And it's like, that's not a local rival. rival. It's not right. like that the Tigers are coming to town or whatever. But it was well, just even funny. after we played Atlanta in the finals, like the next couple of years, mm-hmm. it was like Atlanta, right? Yeah. But Odor is still in, like enemy number one. When, oh, yeah. he, when he shows up at Toronto, he's yeah, booed like every him. single time. Yeah. 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 I know. I haven't been to a Jays game in years. No, like, I haven't either. Yeah, it's been a long time. Well, COVID kind of ended that. We used to go every year. Actually, that's not true. I went uh, for Judah's birthday this past year. We took Judah. Yeah, it was his first Jays game. It was amazing. Good father. He loved it. Yeah. So, all right. Now that we've alienated all the American listeners, but we don't care because we all love the Jays. We're actually kind of wrapping up. So uh, talk about an end of an era. (laughs) We talk about the end of the Blue Jays era, Uh, although it's a good era that we're in right now. But wrapping up this series on paradigm shifts. So we've talked about a lot of things in this series. um, And I'm just going to actually pull up uh, our feed so I can uh, name some of the episodes because it's been so long that I'm kind of losing track of all the things that we've talked about. But it's been a great series just kind of talking through what have been major paradigm shifts in our faith. So we've talked about everything from optimistic eschatology. We've talked about sort of the switch from complementarianism to patriarchy, how that worked in the home, how that works in the church. 
We talked about biblical cosmology and the, the sort of council of the gods. We've talked about um, the idea of kingdom theology, right? Atonement is not enough, that we have to preach enthronement. And we've talked about worship over the last uh, couple episodes. So I just thought it would be cool to just wrap up this series and talk about maybe the the fruit of some of this stuff or how this stuff plays itself out in the in the church, what we're trying to build, all, all that kind of stuff. So as you think through this, let, like, let's just start off, because I know, especially at our church, where we have a good number of listeners who kind of talk through some of this stuff, what's been the feedback in terms of this series where other people have been kind of listening? What have you heard, Chris? Well, thankfully, I'm not a prophet, because every episode that I think is going to get us in trouble, <laughs> it's been almost like like universally people are like, that was very helpful. I very much appreciated that. And then obviously the people who would get us in trouble stop listening, so it's fine. <laughs> The church hasn't lost a ton of attendees during the series, true. which That's is also good. So I think it's it's going well. I think a lot of the feedback is that oftentimes when, when the Lord is moving in his people, it isn't just a couple people that feel it. It's everybody kind of hmm. has a sense a that they're, that this is something that's happening, even if they don't have a way to articulate it. So I actually think what's been interesting watching and observing in our church specifically is that we have put labels and names onto things that other people are feeling. Mm. For instance, I'll use the patriarchy one. You would be blown away by the amount of women who yeah, have come forward and I said, agree. we agree with this. This is what we've been craving. Yeah. And it's what's funny is like, that would be the one I would be like, oh, well, that's going to get us in trouble. But like, it's because I think God is doing something in the church, our church specifically, but the big church overall, the real church of a movement almost back to be the basics of, the, of biblical foundations. Like, right. And I would say... Obviously, we think we're right about what we've been talking about here. So, like, I would say things like cosmology. I would say things like preaching the enthronement, not just the atonement, are things that are were fundamental to the early church that through COVID and through um, just this movement in time seems to be re-emerging as the, as the foundations, the pillars of what we need to be mm-hmm. um, doing in this world. And I would say, like, all of those things, eschatology, theonomy, proper worship, family. Integration, fo- yeah. Fa- family-focused church are all things that are are moving in our in our midst with the with the lord so um that would be i would say my biggest feedback from it so yeah 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 i've been having i guess just a number of conversations with with people like a lot of these things are just top of mind for me so it's yep. not even podcast related but it's been really interesting and I, I don't chalk this up to my powers of persuasion because it just seems like you know as i'm reading something about patriarchy i'll go and talk to somebody about it and it's something that it's almost seeming like there's people who know these things but haven't had it articulated well and it's just because it's not something we hear so it's almost like they're they are the truths that they want to believe Mm. but haven't really been able to land on yeah and they haven't been able to settle it themselves um and that might just be not being studious themselves and going and digging and and trying to understand it but it's like it's certainly not like patriarchy is not taught from the pulpit anywhere right so it's just it's interesting how these things it seems like i think to chris what you were saying it's like a fertile soil, very particularly in our church, yeah. where, I mean, when you say something from the pulpit that might be to some people jarring, it's it's actually usually met with, yep, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I think that's encouraging because it just seems like there is some, I don't know, I think the stupor of Western evangelicalism, like that cloud yeah. of confusion, yeah, is point. just really being lifted right now, and I think COVID's forcing people to reckon with. Well, you look at church history; they seem to do things well. Right. Yeah. If you look at the reformers, they obviously they yep. have their issues, but yep. the Puritans, they obviously they have some of their issues, but like the, the aims and ambitions and the things that they actually accomplished were incredible. Yeah. And when you look at where Western evangelicalism is right now, it's dying yep. and as it should. 
God's like bringing back these amazing truths that were really foundational for the success of the church. And it just seems like those who are really in the church and want to know what scripture says are just ready yeah. and they just want it. It's interesting you say that. So I was thinking about, I was actually listening to another podcast I would I would encourage people to go and listen to. I think we've mentioned it before is the King's Hall podcast. I was listening to those guys talking not that long ago. One of the questions I think Dan asked and Brian answered was, do you think that the sort of young, restless and reformed movement was a net positive? So any of our listeners who might not know what that what we're talking about. So Kevin DeYoung actually wrote a book called Young, Restless and Reformed. And I think he kind of put the title to this movement. But what we're talking about is the young Christians who got reformed in their soteriology, started believing in the doctrines of grace or more colloquially Calvinism. But they got that through the movements of McDonald. Yeah, I think Piper was sort of the grandfather of the movement, but I think like a lot of the young guys got their first exposure to it through like the Mark Driscoll's and the Matt Chandler's and the David Platt's, right? Mm -hmm. So it was almost like the disciples of the John Piper's and the John MacArthur's, right? So that's where I got introduced to Kevin DeYoung and all this because you start following, for me, it was Piper, right? Piper got me really reformed in my soteriology. And then it was like, who are the young guys that he was endorsing? And at that time, he was endorsing Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, David Platt, and some of these guys. That's how I got onto like Mark Dever. And so like suddenly the the guys whose names I never knew were on my radar and the guys that I was listening to to sermons of. And so then you get the T4G squad and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, there's errors in all of this because I think it led to that sort of big, fast and famous, the harvest movement, right? But that James McDonald, like James McDonald movement really came out of the fact that God was doing something where he was reforming his church and bringing back this great truth that I think had been predominantly lost, except in a few faithful people. And that is the doctrines of grace, right? The absolute sovereignty of God over all things, including salvation. So this young, restless and reform movement gets caught up. And obviously Mark Driscoll crashed and burned and, and Matt Chandler has his own issues. And David Platt even has had his own, his own issues with some of the BLM stuff that's come up recently and, and critical theory. But the point is, is that a net positive? And I think what we've seen is that there's a group that just fizzled out, right? They got cage stage Calvinists and they never went further and they either apostatized or they're just cage stagey Calvinists in some, you know, lukewarm church. But I do think that a lot of those guys were in their late teens, early 20s. They were willing to have their mind changed on such a massive issue and they just kept digging deeper. And I think if you follow the Reformed faith through, it leads to a much more full, it's not just a, a sort of shallow Calvinism. It, it leads you to a much more historical, much more robust perspective on theology and the history of the church and the redemptive plan of history and all that kind of stuff. So all that to say, I think that COVID really reignited something in a lot of people. And I think that you have all of these churches. I think the Harvest churches, you know, I know the Harvest movement blew up. Now it's the Great Commission Collective up here in Canada or whatever. But you had these people who were reformed in their soteriology. And really, I would say that that what was lacking about the Young, Restless and Reform movement was all about this reformed soteriology that never really touched or landed in everyday life. Whereas now all of a sudden something major, major upheaval in everybody's life and they're looking for theology to lead them. So I, I give all that preamble because what I've never seen before in all my years of ministry is a time when people are so ripe to have their minds changed. 
when you think about that, like we're experiencing, like I'm just looking over at Chris and how many dinner invitations we get where people are coming over, asking us over or coming over to our places and asking us about post-millennialism and things like, but like how many like 50 year olds, 40 year olds, 60 year olds who have believed one thing about end times their entire life are suddenly changing their eschatological views. And like, that seems unheard of. And so people seem ripe to be able to say, okay, I got things wrong. And I think that happens partially because God took back the veil, showed the wickedness of the world. And I think there's a whole lot of stuff. We could go down a bunch of conspiracy theory bunny trails that'll probably end up being true, <laughs> but we won't. But the point there is, is I think a lot of people had their like worldview rocked and like the corruption of the world. And they're like, what else am I wrong about? And so there's this ripeness, I think, in a lot of people who are, who, anyway, I, I, I ranted a lot, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think people are like ripe to have their theology changed and that's not always true. People are often very set in their ways. Yeah. I, th- I think difficulty and this, I, I think this is a truism of like in scripture. I think it's a truism throughout history. Oftentimes difficulty whittles down to what's, what's important and what's needed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yep. one of the things like we, we've said this a couple of times, it sounds bad to say, but I loved COVID because of what it did for our church, but what it's done specifically for people's faith is that it did, it did make people do fundamentally. They had to like count the cost and is Jesus worth X. And a lot of people did that. And so once you start doing that though, you start laying aside all your presuppositions that you just had because it was easy believism, right? It's easy just to believe whatever was happening. But now what's happening is one, a lot of those heroes have tainted and fallen. So like you're looking at people and you're just like, oh, how do they not see blank? And we, we can yep. throw in whatever we want in that area. And then two, it, it has created a culture of like, well, we have to dig into truth because now we can't trust what everybody else is saying. Like, and I, I didn't realize um, that sounds very, but like you look at the media, you can't trust what they say anymore. You can't trust what your neighbor thinks any, anymore. Yeah. And we could never do that when we should, but we, we kind of fell into the trap of, of just, Yep. thinking the government was on our side and thinking whatever. And Christians should never, like, we, we should always have been Bereans going to the word. And I think that's what that it's created in in our church and in the real church, like, overall, is the sense of, like, well, let's just dig into what the word of, the, word of God says. And we're willing to yeah. adjust all of our mindsets because we now recognize what's more important is that we're biblical, not that we're liked and right. Because truth is, None of us are liked anymore. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not that I ever was, but I mean, like, um, I was. I was. No, so it's created that culture, right? So, yeah. But the nice thing about that is that it has broken down a lot of the barriers of people who would just like dig their heels in on issues that they would have, like, five years ago, we would never have had many conversations about theonomy, for instance. Right. It was just like, ah, you can believe whatever you want. I'll believe whatever. It doesn't really, but now it's like, no, no, tell me why you think this is true. Let's have this conversation. Yeah. Does everyone end up person being like, I'm totally on board? No, of course not. But people are willing to have that chat. And I think also because we watch cancel culture play Mm. such a huge role out in our society where it's like, where how many times you've had this, where if people would just sit down and talk it out, like what we're seeing is a world that doesn't want to have talk it out. We, We were talking about like that lady on CTV who had her Twitter scrubbed and all this stuff, like all the censorship. Had a stroke online, yeah. Or like live on air. And because they don't even want to have the conversation that it could be this other thing that is causing it. And it's like what, what I think we're ha- seeing in the church is, the, is, is kind of like us running almost the other way of like, okay, well, let's not just talk it out. Let's fully flesh it out. Let's talk about right. it. All cards on the de- table. Exactly. Yeah. Deeply. I think the more we do that, the more we get biblical, the more we run into these like we're not having the conversation is like is God sovereign? The question becomes 
how sovereign over even the bad things that happen. And it's like, now we're getting to good spots. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. When you think of some of the verses in the New Testament about Jesus saying like, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with your brother. Like that's just never been something that I think churches have pursued well. And with the amount of division now, I think that's what's going to separate, I think, the churches that have a thriving community at the end of all this and the communities that have a, a superficial community at the end of this. And that is how seriously do they take that kind of stuff? Because there's a lot of relational difficulty. Like we talk often about how how great things are going at our church and they are, but that it's not without conflict. We just came here Chris was yelling at somebody on the phone. I don't, <laughs> we didn't even know what he was yelling about. Jordan and I are sitting there waiting for him to come and get me. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? Like there is conflict, right? And and especially like in a church like ours where there's this very eclectic group of people from different denominational and theological backgrounds coming together. There's conflict. But man, is there ever unity in the midst of relational conflict and tension, which I think is is a far more picture. Like I don't think we have categories for Paul writing to the church in Galatia saying that he opposed Peter to his face and told him that he was stood condemned. Like that's, you know what I mean? We just don't have categories for that sort of thing. And we don't understand how it is that fiery guys like Paul and Peter could have this very public argument and yet still be in unity. And yet they were. And I think that's what we're starting to see reclaimed. The thing with unity presupposes disagreement. Yeah, because like, if you right. if you don't have disagreement, you can't actually be unified. What you have is conformity, and so right. like when the Bible talks about be unified, it is presupposing something that there are going to be tensions. There are going to be times where we butt heads, yeah. but we bear on and we bear each other with with love in that unity, seeking the truth. Obviously, we want to work work towards it, but also recognizing that like don't try to achieve something here that we're not promised until glorification. Like we're not going to be completely the same until we're mm-hmm. until we're glorified we're to work towards that we're never going to get perfect unity in in the body there's always going to be tension because like you know what i'm a sinner jordan's a sinner there's going to be times where me and jordan sin against each other and like but the real church recognizes that and i still love jordan even though we disagree on certain things you right. know what I mean? because like we can argue it out i, I didn't yell at jordan i'm just using yeah, jordan's example. not the guy um we can disagree on things and still be fine in five minutes because we do the thing, the steps to reconcile, to keep, like, we don't let sun go down in our anger, all those things. The more we get into that habit of just like, you know what, I'm not going to take communion to like make sure me and Jordan are on the same page and we're cool. That's how the church grows, right? Like, yeah, I was just going to add. So a little inside baseball here to like the elders, right? I get to sit on the the elder stuff as the intern. Apprentice. Apprentice. You know what? <laughs> Let's do that. Yes, apprentice. That's Assistant true. to the... Yes, yes. <laughs> well, that's Chris to you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was actually in sitting in the elder meetings and seeing... There have been a couple times where it gets tense. Yep. I loved it because it showed that the guys cared enough to share what they truly thought, even though that was at, at odds with what they knew somebody else would think. But then it was amazing to see at the end of it, praying together, hugging it out, and just leaving the room, loving each other, knowing that everybody has each other's best interest and the yeah. interest of the church. But I think it's just a, in knowing other churches where out of fear, uh, like, yeah, yeah, you kind of have that, the fiery, passionate guy can't ever possibly be an elder because he's so opinionated and he, right. where it's it's like, well, then Paul and Peter couldn't be yeah. elders, right? Or Jesus flipping table, right? It's yeah. just like we have that, you know, what is it, the not the meek and mild, the... Uh, uh, gentle and gentle lowly, and lowly. Yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, whereas the two like, greatest I, virtues of yeah, Christ. Yeah, right, that's it. And <laughs> I just think, obviously, it needs to be tempered, and it not it needs yes. to not be in excess, and obviously right. there needs to be balance and all of that, but 
I, I think it's such, I guess just bragging about our church, I loved seeing that and how amongst the elders, there is different eschatological positions. There yep. are some who are theonomous, there are some who aren't theonomous, but there is like real genuine brotherly love and affection for each other that comes across sometimes in passionate, heated debate. Yeah. But then, so. I think sometimes this isn't a shot at anybody's intellectual capacities. Whenever you start with that caveat, you're like, who are you about to like call an idiot? No. Why are you looking at me? (laughs) Well, I think sometimes this is like when we have, I don't know how to say it without offending somebody, but like, I think the smaller our vocabularies sometimes, the less categories we have for what godliness looks like and what sin looks like. And what I mean by that, so let me flesh that out a bit. One of the disqualifications for an elder is someone who is quarrelsome right? Okay. So that word means something. That means somebody who glories in quarrel, who glories in conflict. That's literally what the word means. And so somebody who's passionate, right? Who therefore debates, who is opinionated. Opinionated is not the same as quarrelsome. But because I think we have such low vocabularies and we just don't study words as as frequently as we could. Did you know one thing? This is just a side note. Doug Wilson reads a page of the dictionary every single day. I can't even remember what book I was reading. It might have been Productivity, where he talks through like what he does and how he's as productive as he is, because he is a highly productive guy. Part of his production is, uh, do you remember when we had him on the podcast the first time we asked him his opinion of Star Wars, and he said he'd never seen it? Yeah. (laughs) That was like, I I just had this moment where I'm just like, I (laughs) I had this moment of like, I will never be as productive as that man because I'm not willing to give up Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he said he saw the original in theaters and then he never saw any of the other ones. But anyway, my point in saying that was like, I do think like God revealed himself to us through the written word. And so words are important. Definitions are important. And so we can't just conflate things and say, oh, because Jesus was meek and he was gentle, therefore he can't be passionate and he couldn't be opinionated. Well, no, he was all of those things, but those words don't, like, opinionated is not a synonym for uh, quarrelsome, right? So I think we just have to have a better definition so that we have better categories, right? Clearly Paul was passionate enough to tell John Mark to get off of his missionary journey, right? Like, and there, and there was a quarrel there. And I actually think that whatever that quarrel was, there was some remorse, some conviction, some sin involved, because at the end of his life, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, send me John Mark, and, and they work some things out. But there is something to be said, like when we are passionate about these things, as we all revealed we're passionate about the things that we talked about in terms of these paradigm shifts, being passionate about something and wanting to win somebody to your side and wanting people to see things your way these aren't toxic masculinity traits. These aren't like necessarily evidence of pride or arrogance in somebody. And I just think we just don't have enough categories because we we make synonyms out of words that aren't synonyms. Yeah. So Jesus can be gentle and lowly, but he can also be opinionated and passionate, right? He can be fiery. I think we can use that word for Jesus. He is fiery, but he's not untempered, right? And so I just think we need to use the broadness of the of, of language to be able to be very precise with what we mean by things. It's funny, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm reading a biography on, on George uh, Mueller right now. Oh yeah. And it's funny that like you're, you're actually almost quoting like a little paragraph that talked about like his character. And the, one of the things they, they described him as a, as a man that held strong convictions. And so as you're talking about like he was opinionated, well that's the exact same thing. Right. But it's like I read strong convictions and I think, oh, way yeah, to go. Way to go. Yeah. But then if somebody is like, oh, he's opinionated, my mind goes to that's a negative. Right. Con- and it's like, no, no, it's the same thing. So like we've lost the idea of like we should celebrate 
men who have strong biblical convictions. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's a good thing. Unyielding, uncompromising. Like these are words that ought to describe our elders. It, exactly. As long as they're tempered by the always being willing to be reformed by the word of God, right? That's like right. It's, like if you can hold those two things in tension, you actually have a very good leader. You know yeah, what I mean? Like I agree. somebody who won't change their mind based on the word of God is just a tyrant. And then somebody who could be changed by anything is limp-wristed. You know yeah. what I mean? Like coward, um, yeah. Yeah. toss to and fro on every <laughs> wind of doctrine. Like, yeah, you can yeah, exactly. And this is where, so we're talking obviously about church leadership here, but like I, I've had this conversation. This was a conversation that got birthed out of our patriarchy uh, episodes when I had a lot of men who came to me and said, basically what those episodes did for them was it, it sort of inspired them to be stronger leaders because a lot of the listeners who, who listen from the church, they actually listen and their wives listen. And they talk about the episodes. And it was interesting, like you said, how many women listened to that episode and were just like, yes and amen. Oftentimes, quote unquote, complementarianism is rejected by, by women who think that they have a lesser role or a more inferior position to men. And I think what it does when you start to understand these things biblically is it actually shows that, no, no, we want strong women. We just want strong men who can lead strong women, right? It's not about softening the strength of women. It's about calling men to a higher strength, a greater strength in order to lead. And I think that's what all of this comes down to, right? So we have a tendency when we look at men who are opinionated and have strong convictions, the tendency is, well, you want to be able to control such men, and therefore you have to give them books like Gentle and Lowly, where their only passion is to be servant leaders and do everything that their wife says. And you can fall into these traps pretty quickly. But instead, what we ought to do is say, no, no, I'm, I'm after the stallion because we, the word of God needs to bridle that guy and then look at, look at what a force you would have for the kingdom. I just think we've looked at people the wrong way and we've looked at characteristics that seem godly. I read a book, uh, man, people are going to think all I do is read Doug Wilson, but he wrote a book, Future Men. Have you read that? Mm-mm, no. It's, it's, it's written to fathers raising sons. It's a phenomenal book. And one of the things he talks about is don't discipline the masculinity out of your sons. And he uses this example, and I think it was one of his nephews or something like that in school or they're at camp or something. They all had to wait for the teacher to give instructions before they could handle the bow and arrow, right? But they're all about to do archery. You know, one of the kids ends up grabbing the bow and arrow before he was supposed to, and he gets expelled for it. Wilson kind of said, like, being assertive and, like, kind of jumping the gun and, and wanting to, you know, take ownership and stuff, those are masculine qualities. If you squash those out of your boys, all you're doing is feminizing your boys. Now, does that boy need to learn to submit to God the authority? Yes, of course. But to kind of squash the masculine tendencies in our boys. But I say that about everything, right? So, like, our women are supposed to hold strong convictions as well. Like, it, it ought to be hard for husbands who come to a new theological perspective. I imagine there's been a lot of the good kind of conflict in the Cecile home over the last nine months as you've come to new theological convictions because now your job as the leader of your home is to convince your wife. And your wife, if she, and I know Melissa is a godly woman, she holds her convictions strongly. So you have to convince her by the word of God and she ought not to just be like, oh, okay, Jordan, tell me what we believe now, right? She ought to challenge you and she ought to say, what about this? And I remember several times where I'm teaching you something and then you'd be like, Mel asked me this, what do I say to that, right? And like, it, it, it helped you hone your position. And that's how good godly conflict, even within marriage, and I use conflict, like conflict is not always bad. Conflict is a good thing. Conflict just means that there are different opinions and that's a good thing. And you ought to be able to work through those mm-hmm. things. So, Amen. Conflict is a good thing. Conflict well, and is I, a, I, I was thinking I, about that. I don't know about you guys, 
what comes to mind is a couple of my brothers who have differing positions than I do. In a world right now that just says, like, somebody disagrees with you, you hate them, right? Mm -hmm. That's just what we're being told yeah. and trained and conditioned to do. But I'm thankful that I have a couple brothers who we disagree quite passionately, but we also are still so good of friends. Like, we're still there. Like, and it, the joy of being able to cultivate those kind of relationships where you disagree well is right. such a blessing yeah. because it's really easy to like somebody who just yeses everything you say and agrees with everything. I just think that's something like worth cultivating in that because then it challenges you as well in what you, if you just around, I mean, I think it's good for us to be challenged on post-millennialism. Absolutely. Right? I think it's a good thing. It, yeah, it sharpens us. And and at the end of the day, like I want to be believing truth more than I want to be right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we all ought to have that. But like, so just to kind of put some practical examples in place for that, like I know that theonomy, which is something we talked about through this series, is sort of a hot button topic right now because Joe Boot's super mean. <laughs> the thought was actually some of this conversation all ties together, right? Is some of that passion, right, can be looked at as, as a negative thing if you're on the receiving end of somebody's rebuke. So what I would say is like, we ought to love our brothers enough right? So I think of some of my friends who are not theonomic, right? We've, like you said, some guys on the elders board who I love dearly. And I love them enough that I want them to see my perspective because I think I'm right. And so we'll talk about it and we'll argue about it. And often I think about the, the guy that I'm thinking of uh, in particular. I can remember one time we're sitting in, in my living room and our wives are there and we're, we're sort of eating, eating some food in front of us and we're having a drink and, and uh, we're arguing over theonomy. And then it was sort of like we got to the place where we disagreed and then it was just like, yeah, I think you're wrong. It's like, yeah, I think you're wrong. That's cool. And then we'll pick up that conversation another time, right? Like we, we ought to love our brothers enough to want them to see what we see. But then also, if they hold to a, a, a dangerous theology, like if, and I think about it, the reason I, I pegged theonomy is because it, it's looked at as a sort of dangerous thing. If, if any of my friends actually believe theonomy is a dangerous thing, I hope they love me enough to say, hey, I'm concerned about you. This is the trajectory I see you on. So I think for all of this, I think kind of our, our point in this is like, we're talking about paradigm shifts in theology. We think that the things that we've espoused are things that are worth believing and worth digging into. But the point is, is like, we can be unified without agreeing on all of these things, but we ought to love God's word enough that we want to have these conversations. So it, it never becomes, oh, you know, Chris is a post-millennialist and so-and-so is a amillennialist, and so eschatology is just the thing they never talk about in order to maintain a friendship. It's like, no, that the, that's the opposite. <laughs> you guys should talk about eschatology a lot because you're friends and because you can duke it out and still be okay with things. And so I, I just think that's how we're going to build strong communities. And even if you're not in the same church community as somebody else, if you are linked together because your families or friends or whatever the case is or your neighbors or whatever, then we still ought to love each other enough to have those conversations. And I just think we, we can't be afraid because we, we live in a world that doesn't want to have deep conversations. There's a reason Twitter is the most popular social media platform. And, and it's because you can only use 160 characters or whatever it is, right? There's no in-depth arguments there. You just say your thing and, you know, get, get the hate or the, the praise and, you know, you're, you're off it. And I don't think that's the kind of Christian culture we want to build. We want to create a sort of anti-fragile Christian culture that has security in what we believe because it's studied and is also secure enough that other people can hold other positions without it threatening us. It's funny you're talking about friendships and how our world has created this idea of like friends should agree on every aspect. And so I was just sitting there thinking, going through my friends and my friends group, and I'm like, the people I don't 
hang out with the most are generally the ones I agree on every point with on, on all those things. Cause there's nothing to talk about. Plus millennials. Get, yeah. Yeah. Like, Amen. You know, Amen. Like, so we're what? taking over. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean, like you think about that, like friend and there's, uh, I'm sure we all have that one, the one that like, even if they don't believe they want to kind of talk about, it, they want to argue it. They want like you end up having like great conversations. Cause it's like, you do challenge each other to be iron, like iron sharpening iron we almost have to get into the place where we're like, not that we want to play like devil's advocate, but like be secure enough that like whatever conversation comes up, we can talk about it. And we're fine. If people push back on the, on those things, like we started before we were on air, we were talking about being the most secure and the calmest guy in the room. And the one that raises their voice loses and, and stuff like that. It's just like, we're, we're fine if we're, if we're disagreed with, right. Like, right. and, and we're willing to be proven wrong. You can show it. That's great. It doesn't change relationally how I feel about somebody if they disagree with me on on some point it's actually interesting because when you think of the last couple of years and you think of of much of the wickedness that's taken place it's it's sort of been the anything that questions the narrative gets scrubbed gets canceled gets suppressed that's wickedness right and we've seen the wickedness of like well you can't ask those questions you can't say those things you can't do this thou shall not say that and that was wickedness. And to, even to the point where I, I wholeheartedly believe that some of that many of the lockdowns and stay at home orders and all that kind of stuff coincided with sort of family holidays where families generally sit around the table and talk about politics and what's going on in the world around us. And I don't think it was an accident that the government shut down much of that time because that's a time they didn't want. They, they, they were threatened by the reality of families sitting down and hashing this stuff out. I just say that to say, We've seen what wickedness looks like, and that's an inability to question what's being told, which means that the opposite must be true, that righteousness looks like the open, transparent, this is where I think, this is all my cards on the table, tell me where I'm wrong, prove it, right? Then how do we cultivate that mentality around our elders' tables, in our churches, at our family dinner tables, right, among our, our peer groups, in our neighborhoods? How do we cultivate that secure unified community that might not agree but has really unifying disagreements yeah that's good that's so good we should just end the episode (laughs) (laughs) i've just seen you guys nod i'd say say mic drop but you'd have to like rip it off the table here and do that so don't do that i'm rarely speechless but i'm like i'm I'm thinking about what you said so it's hard to like respond right away yeah um I think that's a good way to wrap up our paradigm shift series, though, is just obviously people listen to us who agree with those positions. Obviously, people uh, listen to disagree with those positions. But no matter where you stand on eschatology and theonomy and worship and all these things, let's create secure enough environments where the Christian community is anti-fragile and willing to talk about hard things. All right. We'll see you all next week. We don't know what the heck we're going to talk about. 